It's the SNL Hall of Fame Podcast. With your host, Jamie Dew. Chief Librarian, Thomas Senna. And featuring Matt Ardill. And now, Curator of the Hall. Jamie Dew. All right. Thank you so much, Doug Nance. It's me, JD, and I am back in the SNL Hall of Fame for the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. Thank you so much for joining us this week, as you do each and every week. Now, I've been told that I'm not formal enough with my ask at the beginning, so please wipeth those feet. It's muddy out. For heaven's sake, we keep a clean floor here at the SNL Hall of Fame. The SNL Hall of Fame podcast is a weekly affair where each episode we take a deep dive into the career of a former cast member, host, musical guest, or writer, and add them to the ballot for your consideration. Once the nominees have been announced, we turn to you, the listener to vote for the most deserving and help determine who will be enshrined for perpetuity in the hall. That's how we play the game. It's just that easy. This week, we are going to delve into the career of a musical guest, and that is the Seattle band that goes by the name Pearl Jam. We are joined by uh, a repeat offender on the show, uh, our musical guru, Ryan McNeil, and we're very pleased to have him back. Now, I'm going to walk down the hall and I'm going to talk to our friend, Matt Ardill. Matthew, who do you think you're going to talk about this week? (laughs) Pearl Jam. Oh, the world's worst Pearl Jam impressions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I lived through that. I, I guess like I, the 90s are just a blur. So. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to me about Pearl Jam. Ranging from five foot seven for Eddie Vedder to six foot two for Jeff Ament. They were formed in 1990 in Seattle, Washington, and are still performing to this day. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Vedder originally claimed that the name came from his grandmother, Pearl, who made a drug-laced jam, but he later admitted in a Rolling Stone interview that it was that was just made up. It was actually, <laughs> yeah, it, he, he does have an, a grandmother named Pearl, but uh, the jam was just inserted after they went to a Neil Young concert and watched him just ex- do extended jams for 20, 30 minutes of musical improvisation at the end of each song. So they were just like, We'll call it Pearl Jam. Uh, So that's that's where the the name actually comes from. Yeah. They were originally named after the basketball player Mookie Blaylock, but yeah, changed it after signing to Epic. While they have officially have 11 studio albums, 23 live albums and three compilation albums with 42 singles between 2000 and 2001, they released 72 official bootlegs. So like, yeah, up until that date, they had encouraged their fans to bootleg because they've always been pro their fans, fighting for their fans' rights with like Ticketmaster and all of that. But during that tour, the binaural tour, they released a recording of each concert, their November 6th, 2001 Seattle show, hitting the 98 on the charts for rock albums. 
Now, they had some big supporters in those early days. Uh, They opened for U2 at the height of U2's fame in 1992, touring Europe for the Zeropa Tour, which I can't think of any tour of U2 that's more diametrically opposed to Pearl Jam style than Zeropa. I agree. They do have some synchronicities in style, but like that's literally you two doing like a Depeche Mode concert. It was just right. like, it was so weird. Vedder had refused to release Black as a single in 1992, despite the push by Epic. So DJs just decided to play it regardless, thus pushing it onto number three of the Billboard mainstream rock charts, even though it wasn't a single, which doesn't happen very often. In 1995, though, things kind of came full circle for the band when Neil Young partnered with Pearl Jam to release Mirrorball. So they got to work pretty early with like one of their heroes. An environmentalist, Eddie, has the logo of Earth First, a stone hammer crossed with a monkey wrench tattooed on his leg. And the band has been very open with their activism, supporting freedom of choice, environmentalism, anti-Bush protests, and support for disaster victims. One of the causes supported by the band members is Crohn's disease. Mike McCready, who suffers from the disease after being diagnosed at 21, works to bring awareness of the disease and performs an annual concert for the Northwest chapter of Crohn's and uh, Colitis Foundation of America. Um, And lastly, during the song Oceans, they used a very non-traditional element for percussion because they just were too far away from a rental shop. So they decided to line up the fire extinguishers in the recording studio And that is what the percussion section is for Oceans. That is great. Nice tidbit. Well, we'll see what happens with Pearl Jam. Right now, Thomas is sitting with Ryan McNeil, and they are going to talk more about Pearl Jam and why they should be a part of the Hall of Fame. So I'm interested to hear that. Thomas is calling, calling. (laughs) That one's a bit better. Take it away, Thomas. JD, Matt, thank you so much. Welcome, everybody, to another installment of the SNL Hall of Fame. I'm your co-host, Thomas Senna. Uh, Before we get started today, I actually want to give some recognition to someone who has been really helpful as far as uh, me researching the podcast and everything. They go by Blood Meridian, and their SNL reviews have been really helpful in going back and getting sketch information and everything like that. So thank you, Blood Meridian. You can check out their reviews at bloodsnlreviews.com. A really great resource, really fun reviews. Uh, They review current episodes and episodes dating all the way back a few years. So thank you, Blood Meridian, uh, for helping me and for helping this podcast. So today is our first musical guest of Season 5 of the SNL Hall of Fame. And for that, I'm turning to our go-to person. For our musical guest, like I don't want to typecast you, Ryan, because I know you did Bill Murray with me, but but you're kind of I mean, like my go-to musical guy. I'm not. Gonna have lie. I got anybody in yet? 
Um, no, but you should, no. <laughs> and, and you're still <laughs> still trying. Well, I think I, I think Bill is Bill in. I think Bill is actually, and I think. But no bands. That's what I'm saying. Like no I've bands, argued for some yeah. of my very favorite artists, but some iconic someone... performances, just nothing. So if there's can't someone wait. who's gonna get in a, a band or an artist, it's I gonna. It's, I I hope so. Yeah, I think it's gonna be you. So Ryan McNeil, uh, you were my guest for Dave Grohl, uh, David Bowie. Uh, what is it? What is it going to have to take for Dave Grohl to be in? By the way, Dave Grohl to me like should be a slam dunk, and he's inching toward there. Ryan, what are we going to have to do? I, I I mean I think he might have he might have to play in front of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones at the same time. You know, he's played with a Beatle and with the Stones, but he's never played with both together. So I'm like, you know, that's Ringo's got to be sick <laughs> right. or something. And that's that's what's got to happen, and then maybe, and then maybe, you know. Apparently, apparently, gosh, I mean, he he appeared again mm-hmm. with Foo Fighters the, yeah. this past season. It was a great episode with Nate Bargatze, and and Dave was in more sketches, and he's, he's just, so far out in front. It's like I, it, it may be one of those records that like never gets caught. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts. So I th- I think we're gonna get Dave Grohl in. I'm I'm pushing for that. I think I think we're gonna get him in at some point. Nice. But even though you haven't got any musical guests in, I have I have you back. So <laughs> <laughs> just keep um, on trying. Yes. Yeah, so uh, so Ryan, uh, you're the host of the Matinee Cast, in which uh, you discuss movies and whatnot. And a recent episode was about Sean Durkin's new mo- movie, The Iron Claw. So, what a movie! What a, a great movie! movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I saw that movie in the theater, and then when I got into my car for the drive home home i immediately put on your episode to get your thoughts Aww. so i had it in queue thanks and i knew man. i was gonna go see it yeah i knew i was gonna go see the movie and i was like okay so I, when i'm done i'm gonna play uh the matinee cast and get your thoughts so you like accompanied me on my drive home from seeing the iron claw which i love and you loved and your guests love like like you all of us really love that movie and you guys it was a, a good movie i mean it, the, what i was really thankful for on that one was that was um there was a really good conversation. And I mean, you know, I don't need to tell you because you're a podcaster as well, but whether we enjoy it or whether we don't enjoy it, just anytime I can get a good talk out of it, I'm always really happy to put the podcast out into the world. My, you know, and again, kind of like your show, I don't always know what I'm getting when I bring a guest on. Like I've kind of got a basic roster, even though I bring in new people now and then, but I don't know if somebody's not going to be bringing the energy up or if they're going to be having an off day or if they're going to be just like really just not in the mood to talk about a movie. But anytime I get a good conversation, uh, I'm, I'm always really like excited to put one out in there. And my guest, uh, Brian Rowan for that episode, um, he always brings the good. So I was really excited. Yeah. I'm always checking to see if you've covered a movie, especially like a new movie that I watched. I'll check to see if you covered it. You asked your guests really cool questions about their movie going history. That's a nice wrinkle to the podcast. So, so yeah, Matt and Acast, uh, you guys, you, do you have anything to promote anything coming up? I know Oscar season is. Yeah, is I got, Oh, I'm thank you for reminding me. So the big show that we do for the Oscars is I could not give a rat's ass who wins, but the <laughs> class of nominees always fascinates me as a snapshot from year to year. So that episode, I've pretty much entirely had the same guest for the entire run of my show, minus one or two years, um, Mariah E. Gates out of Chicago um, is going to be joining me, and we're going to talk about the um, the Oscar nominees pretty soon. And that's that's always such a fun conversation. She's so smart, um, and it's just like steeped in Oscar knowledge. It's it's amazing. It's always incredible. 
yeah, it's an interesting batch this year. So when I catch up on my best picture nominees, that's what I do. I look at the list. I'm like, I haven't seen this one, so I catch up. I'll go check out the matinee cast to see if you guys covered covered it to like accompany my my viewing. So Can't go check it. out Ryan McNeil's podcast, the matinee cast. Great podcast. Today we're here to talk about Pearl Jam as a nominee for the musical guest category of the SNL Hall of Fame. So quick Cliff's notes. Uh, Pearl Jam, Jeff Ament, Stone Gossard were in Mother Love Bone. Lead singer Andrew Wood unfortunately passed away in 1990. So that led to Jeff and Stone forming a new band with a new kid in town by way of San Diego, Eddie Vedder. So we had Eddie, Jeff Stone. We also uh, added Mike McCready to the mix, a rotating cast of drummers, finally settling in more with uh, with Dave Abruzzisi. So we got Mookie Blaylock, soon to be Pearl Jam out of that. So Ryan, were you a Pearl Jam fan back then around 91, 92, grunge scene, all of that? Don't be, you're going to be a hipster and say you were a Mookie Blaylock fan. <laughs> no, no, no. I was, I will, I will actually, I will really own it. I was about five minutes late to the party, which is to say that I was listening to, you could not get away from Pearl Jam when they arrived. They arrived with the force of an atom bomb in, in 1991. Um, so the music was always just around, like you just turn on the radio or be walking by a bar or something like that. Or, you know, I was too young for bars at that time, but you'd be walking by places and you would just hear 10, especially in 1991 and 1992, you could not get away from it. So I enjoyed it. I enjoyed what I was hearing. It was, you know, speaking to me as a young, you know, old generation X slash Mm -hmm. young millennial, it wasn't like my music quite at the time. I jumped in somewhere in between verses and vitality. So I, uh, around the, okay. their second appearance was where I joined the party. Um, and then as actually, oddly enough, like as they endured, I grew to love them more and more and more. Um, when they were in that moment in between verses and vitality, I do remember actually having conversations with my friends about you know, we would have the the lunchtime conversations about like put together a super group of everybody who's you know around right now, or who would you think should headline Lollapalooza next year or whatever. And one of the questions that we asked each other was, "Who's still going to be doing this in twenty years?" Right? Like, which of the bands that are out there right now mm-hmm. are still going to be around? And I, I cannot remember most of the others, but I do remember that Pearl Jam was the one. They were like, we feel like that, they, something about them, they're going to be, you know, kind of this, maybe if nothing else, this Grateful Dead type band mm-hmm. that just keeps going and going and going until the wheels fell off. We were stupidly right. We were like wrong about everything else. <laughs> but with that one, with who do you think is still going to be doing this in 20 years? And a lot of that, and I mean, really and truly, like a lot of that scene, you know, you have three quarters of the Smashing Pumpkins still knocking around, even though yeah. they... You know, they've they've broken up and reformed a few times, but they are the one band from that era that's still most of the original lineup and still going at it. And it's kind of wild. Yeah, it is wild. That Grateful Dead comparisons really apt the way uh, there's like tape trading mm-hmm. associated with uh, with Pearl Jam, like their fans to trade like live shows. Pearl Jam releases the, their live shows a lot. So that's like a good Grateful Dead comparison is they really embrace that sharing their live performance and sharing the live shows with their fans. And they are, they're still very relevant uh, in the music. I did see Smashing Pumpkins uh, last year and and that was a nice 
bit of nostalgia, but that was yeah, good call. You probably saw them, and and you're obviously a movie guy. Uh, you might have seen them if you saw singles back in oh, the yeah. day. That was where yeah. a lot of people tonight we rock Cleveland. Yeah, Citizen real? Dick, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Touch me, I'm Dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's where that's where a lot of people. Do you like singles? I love singles. Yeah, right. It's it's I, an I, underrated it's an underrated Cameron Crowe movie. Yeah, I think it still holds up. And I, Pearl Jam was, uh, there were probably things still Mookie Blaylock when they were in singles, but they really uh, stood out to me. It's very memorable. I don't know if they're the best actors. I don't know if Eddie's like the best actor, but they're part <laughs> They're not really asked out. to do very much. Yeah, the, very little. Yeah, so yeah. a lot of people saw them in singles. Uh, of course, they first appeared on SNL uh, around the time, like a little after 10 broke out. So so in 1992, I kind of want to set the stage for like a, an SNL appearance. So in 1992, Ryan, like what would you say a good showing on SNL could do for a band around that time? It could still really cement a band at the time. Um, you know, th- there were there were more. Uh, it's it's weird to say, OK, hang on. <laughs> I, I'm, it's one of these moments where I start having a thought and then in my head, I immediately think as a listener and just argue it down. Cause I was going to say there were more ways to encounter music, um, in 1992, but that is not mm. entirely correct. Mm-hmm. What there was, was there were more ways to come face to face with music. Now music is very, very much a la carte, you know, S- you want to find out, like you want to just stay in your silo and have all of the, the the stuff by your bands and your artists and kind of similar like artists brought to you or, you know, published for you or on whatever. That is the reality. You can find out about everybody you want, the important words being there, if you want. In 92, you would have that, like, you know, you would have radio was playing whatever the hell radio wanted to play. You would have shows that had certain types of programs. So you would have the shows that were playing the chart and then you would have the shows that were playing these guys are never going to be on the chart but they're really really cool and these guys may be on the chart and they're on their way up you know like you had mm-hmm. all these other avenues where you could trip over music as i said earlier like being in a coffee shop and hearing something over the speaker was much more prevalent because you didn't have headphones on quite as much um shows like snl shows like letterman um you know arsenio hall in a different lane of music you know, these were these were how you experienced your music more than being in your silo and just right. playing what came to you. Pearl Jam, um, you could not get away from them in 91, 92. They, right. they, they just they are what's that is actually something that, that we'll see mirrored in that first appearance because they show up fully formed. It's not like when we were talking about Dave Grohl and we said when Foo Fighters first appeared on SNL, they didn't look right. You know, it took like two or three appearances and they, they, they seems really timid. There was they some don't nervous s- energy. Yeah. yeah. You know, they, their, their look is wrong. Dave is clean shaven for a while. He has short hair. It just nothing about them seems in a line with how long they would go and what they would grow to be. Pearl Jam, aside from the fact that they look like the most prototypical nineties grunge style <laughs> ever, aside from their, their clothes, they arrive fully evolved. Like they, they show up and it is just no holds barred, you know, batting down the hatches. We are going to show you why we're famous. This has to be especially wild for stone and Jeff 
mm-hmm. for sure. Because two years prior, they had, they were in Mother Love Bone. They had just lost their lead singer. They didn't know quite what they were doing. They had they jammed and played with people from the scene, like Chris Cornell. I think played a lot with them and and everything. They found this guy Eddie Vedder. So to go from losing Andrew Wood in 1990 to two years later being on SNL, like what a wild ride, especially for Stone and Jeff, right? And they're kids. Yeah, and they're like that, kids. that's the thing. Every time, every time I'm on here and I watch some of those older episodes, I'm like, wow, you were so young. You know, I just, I, I, I keep forgetting that all these bands broke through in their early twenties and I know it's easy for me to say it, but I look and I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. Right. Early twenties. So it was uh season 17 at the end of season 17, it was April 11th, 1992, their first appearance on Saturday night live. Sharon Stone is your host and their first song. I think it was a banger, like right out of the gates. This was one of the songs that was that was super popular. They yeah. could have chosen a lot from 10, um, mm-hmm. but they, they, they performed alive. They basically get to the end of the performance and they could have finished with any questions because like everything about it, Eddie's voice is magnificent. Uh, the guitaring is killer. The drums are killer. There's, you know, they're, they're not really cutting loose and thrashing around the stage like they tend to, but that's kind of more emblematic of the tempo of the song. And one of them is, one of them is kind of pogoing around at the drop of a hat. But yeah, they come out and they play alive and it's like, here's why you can't get away from our album. You know, like just just listen. Yeah, they perform so confidently. Uh, Eddie really stood out to me and the camera, the camera was focused on Eddie mm-hmm. oh, much of the performance. Like Ryan, you talk about Eddie Vedder as a as just a, a, li- a singer and a live performer. It's he's got one of those singular voices. I mean, the, the the what one of the things that's really wild is his voice was so iconic that a lot of other acts were trying to copy it. You know, a lot of other acts were trying to not just sound like grunge. Um, look it up, kids. Um, <laughs> but also sound like his vocals. Um, you know, Candlebox. Yeah, and I mean some some of those comparisons weren't really fair. Like, you know, if you go out there and you sing and you just happen to sound like the way somebody else sings, you know, it's 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 not really fair to knock people around for that, but there were a lot of labels that were looking for other bands that could sing like that because it's like, well, you know, this sells. Um, but yeah, no, he's he's an incredible singer. He remains an incredible singer. The one little weird development over now, you know, 30 years of career is that now he has to warm up, you know, like that's, that's the, back in the day, they could have started the show with a live or started the show with the second song that they're going to mm. do in the same performance. Now they sing two or three slow numbers off the top of the show, which is a weird experience to start a big rock concert in an arena and they're on stools. But Eddie now is what? 50 something. Mm-hmm. 
And he actually had like um, a bit of a health scare with his voice a year or two ago. So now he's got to warm it up. He can't go to the really louder numbers right away. Otherwise, he's in trouble. But back then, you know, he's young, dumb and full of something. (laughs) And he just he he's incredible. It's, it's, It's it's again, I've used this analogy in the past. It's watching a prize fighter fight in the in the prime of their life. Yeah, yeah you could, he immerses himself in, in in each song. You could tell just by looking at him, he's just like fully immersed in it. He's not. We talked about some maybe some nerves, like you said, with Foo Fighters or Dave, whatever. The, this guy didn't come across None. nervous one, one bit. <laughs> stage yeah. presence. He owned the stage. He did. Yeah, they all owned the stage. It was such a good. This is honestly this performance of Alive is one of my favorite SNL musical performances from around that time. It's something that really stood out to me just because of their energy. Uh, it didn't sound like, I mean, there, you mentioned there were a few bands like that, but SNL didn't, they had Nirvana on, but but this was something so like unique to the to Studio 8H, to the SNL stage. It was something that really stood out to me. Like they were still bringing in bands like Traffic at the time, or they <laughs> yeah. would bring in Don Henley. You know, they, they weren't, they, 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 they went for a while without, launching act and don't get me wrong like they weren't exactly launching pearl jam in 1992 but they the they there was there was a you know the the music and the comedy weren't always hand in glove if you were playing some of the edgier comedy to a younger crowd you weren't always playing the music to the younger crowd so this is one of those moments where it's like yeah come on and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do a thing yeah yeah exactly so alive one of my one of my favorite performances on SNL from that era. Their second song, you talked about energy and just coming out, giving energy. This was a, I thought this was a really good song selection. They could have picked a lot from 10. To me, this was interesting, but it worked in this setting. They did Porch. come back to this much later but this is if i'm making a case for this band porch is why and i hmm. would not have thought about that before i sat down and rewatched everything um porch is not a single <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna say that a lot yeah uh porch is not a single ed has this great wince when he tr- when he makes sure he doesn't say what the fuck um he always kind of had like he, he he would he wouldn't he did. I'm sure he didn't actually have trouble not cursing on live television. He always made a show of it. You know, that's yeah. that's the thing I love. There was no changing the lyric to something else. It's like I, you all know what I'm gonna say, and I'm just gonna come right up to the line and make sure you know it. <laughs> the guitaring in this number is just. It, it's like. If you thought Alive was incredible guitaring, watch this, mm-hmm. you know? Um, this is probably one of those numbers where you, you know, maybe you skip over it on the CD or maybe you don't know all the words or maybe you can't make the jokes about it the same way you would uh, even flow. Because that's the thing is, if we're talking SNL and Pearl Jam, I always hear Adam Sandler doing Eddie Vedder yeah, right, in my head, right? right? Um, 
and they turn it into something. Most importantly, they, Ed, at the time, and still, I'm sure, was, is very, very pro-choice. In the 90s, that was still a very hot debate. Of course, now, for some reason, it still is. Um, And Porch is not explicitly about pro-life or pro-choice, but in that moment, Ed and the rest of the band, because none of them argued, they're like, we're doing this. So Ed goes out there and he in he injects this lyric about the right to choose, a woman's right to choose. Mm-hmm. And just to drive the point home, he's wearing a t-shirt with a coat hanger on it. Yeah. Like this is this is ballsy. This is a very, very ballsy move to do. Um, non-single, make it about this and really, really own it. Yeah, yeah. It was one of those things where he's not it's not too overt where he's putting in people's faces, but it's one of those things where if you see it's what's pretty on his shirt, overt. If you, well, if you know, you know. It's one of those things if you know, you really know what he's talking about. Like but it's not he's like not he's ripping up a picture of the Pope, but he's not it's, that far off. Yeah, I mean that uh, still that that imagery might go over a lot of people's heads, especially around that time. But it's like if you know, you know, kind of thing. Maybe. It, it, yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, I want to was... believe people are smarter than they are. So <laughs> yeah, maybe that's a neat thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that that was a great. I think that was a really neat thing that Eddie did. Uh, the buildup in that song that le- led to Eddie yelling mm-hmm. was awesome. And Pearl Jam at their best, Ryan, like gives me chills. And the end can... of that song, like the buildup of this song, like that—that's what this did. It just gave me chills. He can scream on key, yeah. which is you know again a lot of those bands that were coming out at the time trying to sound like Pearl Jam could not do this like uh Kurt Cobain could do that really well too. There's it's it's not easy to yell and scream on key. Uh it seems like it's really simple, but it's actually really not. So yeah, when he when he would let loose, it would it would sound again very singular. Yeah. One one last thing about Porch as far as the song choice is a lot of people I think around we're in April of 92, the album's been out. People know Alive, they know Even Flow, they know Jeremy, they know a lot of the big hits from from 10 but if you're just a casual fan if you just know pearl jams hits and then you see them perform something like porch that's got to draw you in even more i think that's why i think that was a really good choice by pearl jam to play well it'll either draw you in or it could disappoint you because the thing is at this stage of the game alternative and grunge was becoming pop right so Mm. You take your average now, your average 13, 14-year-old Taylor Swift fan. In 1991, 1992, they were listening to Pearl Jam. They were listening to Red Hot Chili Peppers. They were listening to, eventually, Green Day. You know, like, that. that's the thing, is that they were very, very poppy. Not in terms of the music they were doing, but in terms of who was listening to them and why. So... There could have been a lot of 13 and 14 year old kids who were watching and hoping that they would sing Jeremy because they love Jeremy so much or hoping even that they would sing something like black. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, no, no, we're going to we're going to reach a little deeper. So sorry. <laughs> next time we come, maybe we'll play it. But you think something like porch might be like for a certain fan like that may be a little abrasive or heavy or something. I just, just think it's unexpected. I think it's that yeah. it, it's it's not that <laughs> it's. I'm really dating myself on this episode. <laughs> it's not the song that you would put on the mixtape. Honestly, this performance felt like a, a bit of a triumphant thing for Pearl Jam. Mm-hmm. This first performance, mm-hmm. it felt like them announcing themselves. Oh yeah, I know they had already, you know, they had a lot of radio and MTV play, but just being on SNL in 1992 to me 
felt like something where a band could still announce themselves. People who had never seen, they didn't, there was no YouTube. You can't look at no. and, and watch and see how a band is live. So a lot for a lot of people, this was their first live exposure to Pearl Jam. Totally. Yeah. And uh, so how do you feel? So do you think Porch and Alive were the right choices for this? Is there anything else from 10 that you may have wanted I mean, to do see? Do I have a say? Because like if I'm managing this band, yeah, yeah. Alive, I, like no notes. Alive, absolutely, positively, no notes. Like the second song that you're going to perform again, if we're sitting down and we're talking like, like we're saying, what's the second one going to be? They really would have had to convince me on, on, on porch. I would have been like, I know you don't like doing the hits anymore, but like, is <laughs> it like black is right there. If you don't, you know, if you don't, and, and that one's the one that's, it's not quite a single, but it's the one a lot of people know. Yeah. So it's one of my all time yeah, favorite songs, Black. So I wouldn't have minded at all. <laughs> and, and, and again, it's that. not to knock Porch because Porch yeah. is a great song. It's just, it's really unexpected choice. Yeah, unexpected. Which for, is going to be like their, me. I think that's cool. But, but which is going to be their jam going forward. Oh, so uh, yeah, we'll see that. We'll see that going forward. So I think great first uh, appearance for Pearl Jam in April of 92. Two years later, uh, April 16th, 1994, is their second appearance. And if you know anything about History Kids, April of 94, this is less than two weeks after Kurt Cobain died. So there's a little bit of that energy. Of course, Kurt Cobain, lead singer of Nirvana, they're in the same scene. They know the guys from Pearl Jam. So there has to be a lot of emotion still running heavy with Eddie and the rest of the guys from Pearl Jam, Ryan, less than two weeks after Kurt Cobain died. Um, yeah, um, they, like, I mean, they were friends. They, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's always wild to think that iconic people just hung out, right? Like Truman Capote and James Baldwin were friends, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Jean-Michel Basquiat and Keith Haring were friends. Pete Townsend and Janis Joplin, Mm -hmm. they were friends. George Harrison and Eric Clapton were friends until. They were friends. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, say yeah, good one. But <laughs> so, you know, you're you're late twenties and you lose a friend with the eyes of the whole world on you. You know, like anybody who's ever gone through grief knows that it you you have no idea what to expect, especially when you're young because you feel so invincible. They could not have been in a great place mm-hmm. um, when they did this. You know, it, it was it was close enough that I'm sure it affected them all, but. Show, the show must go on. So on they go. Once again, they wail. Um, they, they've never turned in a bad performance on SNL. The only curious bit is now we start to stray into what Pearl Jam will eventually become right. in terms of we're not playing any singles. We're playing two songs that you maybe know, maybe don't. And you, you're going to get you're going to take what we give you and enjoy it. So at this point, Pearl Jam, one of the biggest bands in the world. So they weren't in, a, probably not in a great headspace because their friend had just died. But career-wise, still one of the biggest bands in the world. Versus had been released a few months prior in October of '93. But their first song, not off of Versus, it's actually off of Vitology, which wasn't released until later that year. Yeah, not for you. With no Remember, why don't you? Don't you? This is not 
I had to check the date of this Me episode <laughs> several yeah. times. Well, I had I'm to like, check to see when Vitology was released because I remember but, I was like, I'm pretty sure I got it for Christmas when yeah. I was when I was yeah. 13. That part that was, I remember really clear. This I was yeah. like, wait a second. I'm like, I'm, I'm getting older. Am I just mixing this up? Yeah. Um, it's like it. This is so. Couple things. Um, by this point, they are the biggest band in the world. There's this beautiful lineage of who is at any one time, capital letters, the biggest band in the world. I don't even know who it is right now. Like, I don't know if there's a band that's the biggest band oh, in the world. A right band now. that plays guitars right now? Yeah. That's yeah. the biggest? Gosh, I have no idea. You no too? idea. I don't know no, still. No, no. And I say that as a fan. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so, but for a while, like, you know, Guns N' Roses were the biggest band in the world. Mm. And then Pearl Jam was the biggest band in the world. And then Radiohead would be the biggest, Oasis would be the biggest band in the world. Radiohead and U2 for a minute or two, Mm. you know, there was this thing. So yeah, at this moment, Pearl Jam is the biggest band in the world. They sell out every show they play that the, the album that they're promoting on this episode sold almost, what was it? Almost a a million copies in the first week. Like it was, it was, it sold, sorry, not a million. It sold like an incredible, almost a billion copies in the first week, which was unheard of at the time. And yet they're like, they're not in They're They're certainly not embracing it. I don't know if they're enjoying it. And that's and they're enjoying where performing, you, but they love. It. Oh yeah, they you're, love yeah, you're to get up there. Enjoying being like enjoying a, the a success big, and enjoying yeah, the fame. They're right. not enjoying that part mm-hmm. of it. Um, and it, you know, like they're they're all very down to earth people. They they they've never exactly lived what I'd call the lavish rock style life, as rich as they have all become. Um, but that's the thing is like I I think. The same way, you know, talking about this same week, the same way that fame never really sat well with Kurt Cobain, I don't think it's ever really sat well with with Pearl Jam. And they they start to kind of lash out slash recoil. And one of the ways they do it is by not playing what you expect expect them to play. So here they are. They're going to play a song that you're not going to hear again for another year because it's not on this record. (laughs) And then they're going to play another song that is on this record but it's not one of the three or four singles that are being played everywhere. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So not for you is the first one that we were talking Like not for you was the one from Vitology that we wouldn't hear for another mm-hmm. few mm-hmm. months. And with that one, it's a rocker. It's one of those rockers from Vitology. Huh? Um, the Vitology is probably best known for better man is, mm-hmm. is off of Vitology. That's certainly at this stage. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but not for you is one of those like that just fits. So like the instruments sounded so alive in this performance. Uh, if if they were if they had anything that they wanted to play from Vitology, their upcoming album, I think this was a pretty cool choice to come out with with a rocker like that. Something that fans were like, hey, what what is this song? I don't know yeah. if they were playing Not for You live around that time, so maybe fans knew about it. Maybe uh, I I don't know, but but interesting choice to say the least. And I thought it sounded great. Oh, it does. Like Ed is guitaring on this mm-hmm. one. He's not great. That's the thing. It's like they show up fully formed, <laughs> but Ed's guitaring is still growing. It's, you know, it, it's he, once again, he avoids cussing on air and makes a show of it. And by the end of it, they're shredding.
it starts out just as this grind. And by the time they get to the end, they're all cutting loose. And now they're all jumping around the stage and thrashing and letting loose. Yeah, that's a theme with most of their performances here is they just end on like shredding high notes. Usually. There's yeah, yeah there's a couple of examples that we'll get to where they don't. Uh, but usually they do. The second song that you alluded to, Rearview Mirror, off of verses, uh, th- that they ended it the same way. They closed it with some real energy. That song has a real urgency about it that I've always loved. show what they're going to become like they show that that influence of jam bands they show they certainly show the influence of neil young who they're not hanging out with yet but they will very soon like that number even though it's not even one i really play all that off like i i'll play like eight or nine songs off of verses yeah. before i think about playing <laughs> rearview mirror um but it's just like, you know, they just they wanted to just it felt right for them. Like, that's the thing. I don't ever think that they're doing these things to troll their audience or to troll the people who bring them there. I just think they're doing what they want to do, which I mean, speaking of what they want to do or more particularly what they don't want to do. This is also just a precarious moment for them to show up because this is where things get really weird for for Pearl Jam, because that unease with success that I was talking about, it starts to just become, go from subtext to text at this point. They stopped making videos, which they had already started doing for, for verses. There were no videos for verses. They stop doing interviews. They stop really, they stop doing live performances on TV like this. They start this now almost quaint and also very, very apt argument with Ticketmaster. Right. This is around um, that time where the yeah, Ticketmaster like yeah, started so, happening. And as far as SNL goes, they vanish for 12 years. Yeah. And it's, you know, they're making music in that time. They're releasing records. They're touring. They're selling. Their, their star is a little lower in the sky than it is. Like, you know, when you go through like 97, 2000, 2003, you know, they've, they've dropped a bit in the sky than they were in 92 to 95, but they're just, they're not really embracing. They're not really embracing the fame. And SNL is a big part of that. Cause they're gone for, off the show for 12 years and not yeah. for lack of material. Just yeah. don't show up. Right. It seemed like the show really liked them too, because with this second performance, they did a third song, which not, not a ton of artists would get. So they did daughter which mm-hmm. for their third song uh, on SNL that time. And does it say something about a musical guest that gets to do a third song on the show, or do I read yes. too much no, into that? No, I think stuff? I think it really it really says something. I don't think they, I don't think they. It's not a kind of thing where it's like, well, we don't have a whole lot of material, so can you ask them to play another song? You know, like mm-hmm. they usually have to cut skits because they've got too many. So if uh, there's there's only you could probably look at the list of bands that have been asked to perform a third number, and it's not a long list, and they're all champs. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think this says something that they trusted them. They knew that they would knock it out of the park. Daughter, more of a low key number. Father, 
it did not end in a rocking sort of way. It just sort of yeah. ended in a, yeah. <laughs> so that that's how the song ends. Uh, what daughter wasn't one of my favorites, but it's hard to complain because it was like a bonus song really. Uh, and I think they performed it well. Um, daughter's one where it's like pretty kind of low down on the list of songs that I'll go back to on verses personally. Uh, that's around the time I show well. up. That that's that that was my five minutes late. That's that was around the time I okay. walked in. Okay, um, so it was on stuff like daughter because like daughter was played on radio as well. Oh, all the time. So yeah, yeah. Is there anything else off of verses that they may that you would have maybe liked to see them perform? You think they would have done oh, a good job? Oh, um, elderly woman behind a counter mm-hmm. in a small town. Um, I have a I have a soft. I know it's not a single, but I have a soft spot for Why Go Home. This was in the age where you released an album. And the whole thing was a complete work, yeah. you know, like it's we're, we're straying away from that a little bit now. I think some bands are trying to get back to it, but it was, you know, Pearl Jam, especially, you know, there were songs that they that were that could have been singles that they just left as B-sides for years and years and years. And, you know, so, yeah, so this this is a this is an album I could I could listen to it end to end and love everything about it. Yeah, I think Go could have come across really well on SNL Mm -hmm. with a lot of energy. Uh, A personal favorite of mine is WMA, (laughs) that but uh, but maybe you know uh, maybe not a better choice than you know uh, that that maybe would have been a more obscure choice uh, for them to perform. But I love WMA and and it it, it's great live. Yeah, I'm Uh, a big fan of Dissident too. Dissident's great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Indifference is a little slow one, but I know a lot of Pearl Jam fans who love indifference. So yeah, just so many off of verses uh, that, that they could have done. I think good choices though. Rearview mirror were, were, did really well on the show. And a lot of people really enjoyed daughter. That was like a play of the hits almost kind of, yeah. kind of choice. And it's like, you know, oh, okay, you've listened to all this weird <laughs> stuff. We'll play the yeah. one you came to see. Exactly. And you're absolutely right because this is 1994. And then they just sort of, they, they, they were the biggest band in the world and then they just made a conscious choice to get out of the limelight. Like after yeah. Vitology, it just seems like they made that conscious choice. They released four albums between like 94 and 2006 uh, to varying, you know, there, there's good moments in all of those albums to pick. Some, some are better than others, mm-hmm. um, but they were still touring extensively, still releasing and selling albums. Out. Like selling they, it's, out. it's not like they were, they weren't playing like smaller venues. They were playing arenas and amphitheaters, like sixteen to twenty thousand seat places, festivals in Europe. Um, you know, like they were they were raking it in as a live show. They just, as far as their place in pop culture and their place in the game was considered, they were just more than happy to yield their space to other bands and other sounds and other genres. Yeah, they found this sweet spot for them where they were still like you said, playing these huge venues, they had a really loyal following that 10 club still, that's do. Been a, still going. It's they, been they, around for a while. Yeah, they still play these same venues. They still play the same venues, uh, but it's on their terms, mm-hmm. which, which, which I think is awesome. Like they're, they're, they're making, they're still making a great living, still playing these incredible live shows, releasing live performances, but it's all on their terms. It seems like it does. It does. And it's, I mean, it's, it's wild to, it's wild to consider that a band would be that big and say, you know, like, first of all, to, to, yeah, to go and fight with a company like Ticketmaster. I, I feel like, can you please drop the video into the show notes of this episode when they're on Capitol Hill? Oh, yeah. T- talking before Congress and pleading before United States senators that $50 
is too much to ask their fans to pay. All the members of Pearl Jam remember what it's like to be young and not have a lot of money. Many Pearl Jam fans are teenagers who do not have the money to pay $30 or more that it's often charged for tickets today. It is well known in our industry that some portion of the service charges Ticketmaster collects on its sale of tickets is distributed back to the promoters and the venues. It is this incestuous relationship and the lack of any national competition for Ticketmaster that has created the situation we're dealing with today. As a result, our band, which is concerned about keeping the price of its tickets low, will almost always be in conflict with Ticketmaster, which has every incentive to try to find ways to increase the price of the ticket it sells. It's so sweet. In hindsight, what a time. It really, I know. How it quaint. really is. Um, <laughs> but that that was, you know, they're they're people of principles. Like, they, you know, you you're, you've got a you've got a band that's going to go on and sing a song about being pro-choice. They've always been very active. Eddie, especially, um, you know, he's um, he's an environmentalist. Um, they, they're they're very very big on human rights, and they just they they decided that they didn't want, they didn't need the fame. They didn't want the fame. They weren't comfortable with the fame, so they just kept playing their music, kept releasing their records. Eventually they'd start doing a few more interviews and even releasing videos, but begrudgingly. And it wasn't until around the time that they come back in, you know, 2006 that the larger embrace of media was happening too. Cause that, that avocado record it's self-titled, but most fans call it the avocado record. That was when, you know, it was like, all right, let's we're, we're, we're amenable to doing this again. I was here for the Prince show. Prince did that too. When he did musicology, he embraced, you know, the, the spotlight again and they slayed the, the record is great. Um, you know, it's not one of their first three records, but nothing is, but it's really great. They sound great. You go to that episode where they, they come out and sing. What is it that they sing on that one? Worldwide suicide. Yes. Which I love. It's such a good song. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Worldwide yeah. Suicide, and they slay. They actually show that even though that they showed up fully formed, fully evolved, take no prisoners. They're like, you know what? For 12 years, all we've been doing is playing and we're even better. Eddie sounds better. His guitaring is better. The whole band, there's a new drummer in the band because for a while they went through drummers. Like right. They're incredible. They wander in the weeds for a decade and they come back and it's like they have not lost a step. If anything, they may even be better. Yeah. At this stage, I think especially aesthetically too but then how they perform i think they're coming across as a super competent mature more mature band than they were 14 years before just didn't as far as how they looked how they carried themselves there's less angst which makes sense yeah to me like they, it's a little less diy yeah exactly less diy they've really they've really matured still great live performers i mean i loved this performance of worldwide suicide but to me they're just like comfortable with who they are mm -hmm. as great live performers we know who we are. We're mature. And it, it's fun to see this version of Pearl Jam on SNL. It I is. Think. Absolutely. And, um, you know, uh, it, it's 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 wild because as singers age, their voices change. 
Um, I would say Eddie is like growing into his voice. He still, mm. he still sounds like Eddie Vedder. You know, it's not like young Elton and old Elton. Um, but it, like, he still sounds like himself, but it's just, he's, gro- he's gained probably as the same as his, his guitaring. He's gained a better understanding of his instrument and what he can do and how he can do it. And it's, it's just incredible to see them still being able to slay now, you know, 15 years or so into their career. Yeah, absolutely. And then the second song that they performed, uh, also off the avocado album, severed hand had that same urgency that I Ryan, when I, when I think about music that I really love and that really sticks out to me, the one thing that I can point to is a lot of it has urgency about it. And I yeah. think severed hands, so it's like this performance had that, it had that urgency that I love about Pearl Jam's live performance. I like this song choice because of that. We haven't been talking enough about Stone and Mike. Yeah. And they are like, they are either one of them could probably be just like, you know, a front man onto themselves. And along with the fact that they play so very well, they're also both showmen, you know, like when they play live, they don't just stand there and noodle with their heads down. You know, like they, they, they move, they'll do tricks like, you know, putting the guitar behind their back of their head and playing the big solo and they'll wander into the crowd and play the big solo. You know, being in a band with a guy who's prone to climbing the scaffolding, you've <laughs> right. got to find a way to, 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 to kind of keep up with that. And just musically, they are both just, they're underrated, I'd say, as far as guitarists goes. They, they don't actually get mentioned as the great guitarists, when you, when you go down the line, like you really kind of go down the list when it comes to great guitarists to talk about um, Stone and Mike, um, but they're so good. And watching all of these episodes, like they always get a moment where it's like, shit, they're great. Yeah. They have like the soaring guitars. They, yeah. the, 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 those soaring guitars really make a lot of Pearl Jam songs just pop mm-hmm. and give me those goosebumps. And that's, yep. you're right. That's like Stone and, and Mike right there like making those guitars sing and pop yeah that's very well put and i think with this episode too we're talking 2006 i think it was a good chance for them to re-announce themselves to more of a casual public audience say hey guess what you remember pearl jam (laughs) well they've still been making music and touring but but they're Um, back like check them out they're still awesome so i think this was a neat way to kind of for pearl jam i think I, i like that they decided okay you know what like, let's go back on SNL. Let's do something like this. Yeah, yeah, totally. And let's like let's let's bring some of our let's bring some of those old fans back into the fold. You know, they've had their kids. Their kids are old <laughs> enough that they can they they don't need to you know to, to pay too much for a sitter. So um, yeah, to, to to bring them back, and it all leads up to their last performance mm-hmm. in um, where are we now? Now we're March in two thousand nine. March, no. of, March of 2010. 2010, excuse me. They come me. back. So this was about six months uh, after Backspacer came out. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Backspacer, which now it's... This is actually... They're, they're on a great little late career run of records. 
Um, because from the avocado record on there, again, they're all really good as opposed to those, those middle career ones, which are like you said, varying degrees of Mm -hmm. turn. So they come back and they play just breathe, which is one of my favorite Pearl Jam songs. It's one of my favorite songs. Gorgeous song. It's a, yeah, it's an absolutely incredible song. Yeah, I don't want to hurt. There's so much in this world to make me believe. Stay with me. Oh, what I see. Did I say that I need you? Oh, did I say that I want you? Oh, if I didn't, I'm a fool, you see. No one knows this more than me. It's an unexpected choice to certainly just like this felt to me like this would be the 1245 song. This shouldn't be the 12, mm. 1215 song. Right. But they're like, no, we're, this is the one we're going to play. Um, they had some loud rocking numbers off of Backspacer. Fixer is a, is a number that they could have played. It would have, you know, shredded everybody's faces off before they go into update. But they play Just Breathe. And... Along with the fact that, again, we're seeing how much better of a guitarist Eddie is now. Because he's playing this beautiful finger-picking role that, that is the main guitar line of the song. You know, it's it's not that... it's it's It could not be more counterpoint to Alive if you tried, you know? And in the, in the hands of a lot of bands, it would almost go saccharine. But it stays just wistful enough um, for a band that's been doing this now for at that point, almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. And he sounds great. He's playing great. They it's, it's again, it's ballsy. It's a ballsy move to make, Um, you know, it, and, and they own it. And it's, it's the kind of thing where if you were in the room and you heard that, you'd be like, what, what's happening now? This is wonderful. This is lovely. You know, and it would just stop you in your tracks. And it's, it's again, it's a very gutsy move to play as the as the first song of the night. Absolutely. The slowest jam that they've played on SNL mm-hmm. uh, by far. in their times by far, but just so, so gorgeous. Stop, stops you in your tracks. Uh, just a wonderful choice. The second song that they did, it's up there as far as one of maybe possibly my favorite performance of theirs on SNL. Really? I thought I thought they destroyed it on unthought known I thought mm-hmm. it was awesome. I love the soaring effect on Eddie's vocals and just just how it crescendoed, just like the, I don't know, just something about it. I'm like, this is so great. I remember seeing it. The, the only other time I saw it was when when the episode aired. And then just going back to it to, to do research for this uh, episode, I'm like, this this really pops to me. And th- mm. so this and Alive are the two performances. Like, and it's kind of interesting that those are the bookend performances on SNL. Right. But this one in particular, Ryan. For now. Yeah. 
But this one in particular, Ryan, like really popped me. What do you think of this one? Um, it's it's this one. I was. It's kind of funny because I I thought it was a little bit more of we're not going to play the singles mm-hmm. kind of number. Um, and and I think for me it was kind of it was a harder letdown because I love Just Breathe so much. So mm. I heard my favorite number. No matter what you're playing next, <laughs> it's like I'm 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 already like I'm already in. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. So March thirteenth, twenty ten. Their their most recent. We don't want to say last. Like so. Do you think it's been fourteen years? Like. Do you think the ship sailed as far as them come being on SNL or could they make like a somewhat surprising return after 14 plus years on SNL where, yeah, based on where they're kind of where they are as a band, you know? Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's the funny thing is we, we talk about how 12 years go by in between performances. Um, you know, yeah, we know we're 14 years removed from, from the second yeah. one. So um, it's been on four years since they've released an album. So I mean, G- there was a Giga- pandemic in between. Yeah, so Gigaton was released and there was a pandemic. So yeah. yeah. Um, so they, they were, they, it, it's funny because little, little side digression. They were how I knew things were getting really bad because I had tickets to see them in March mm. of 2020. And, you know, people around work were starting to get a little nervous, starting to talk about this thing that was happening out in the world. And I was like, it's fine. It's going to be like H1N1 or it's going to be like swine flu. It's going to be. One of those things that's in an isolated area is like, and then my, my buddy who I was supposed to go with is like, yeah, Pearl Jam just canceled their concert. I'm like, oh, I guess this oh. is real. Yeah. And this was still, yeah. this was still like at least a few weeks before the whole world closed down. Mm-hmm. Like this is a good, almost a month out. Okay. And it was like, oh shit, this is, a, this is trouble. So yeah, they, they've kind of been playing catch up off this album from three or four years ago now, but um uh, yeah, I, I don't. I don't think they're done on SNL quite yet. Um, but it may take something. Yeah, maybe like a, a in the fiftieth. I know a lot of us SNL fans might we might have our expectations for the fiftieth season a little too high. They're going to bring out every host is going to be a legacy host, <laughs> and every musical guest is going to be legacy. But I don't know. Maybe Pearl Jam's someone. Maybe at least for the fiftieth or for, for the fiftieth like uh, anniversary show. I don't. Yeah. Know. I'm sure like I'm sure they'll I'm sure they'll get invited whether or not they do it is is yeah as as is most things with Pearl Jam it's entirely up to them. And so so one thing about Pearl Jam, we even one of the main things about Pearl Jam is they're one of the better live bands that we've had. Mm-hmm. And it's been that way for a long time and for me personally like even if there's a song I'm less into on record, I know they can really flesh it out live and make it great. And Ryan, I I want to know like you have to tell me about any times that stick out like that, that you've seen Pearl Jam? Like how many times have you seen them? What stood out? Like share, regale me with some live Pearl Jam stories. I, I have seen them twice. And okay. um, I've seen them once. So, okay. so you, you're double mine. The, the first time that I saw them, what stuck out to me was this. The show was supposed to be them. And the opener was Ted Leo and the pharmacist. And around the time that the opening act got on, we got there early because Pearl Jam is the kind of band that sells gig-specific T-shirts and posters. And if you're not there good and early, you're not getting anything. Um, so we got there good and early, and you know the the opening act. It was time for the opening act to come on, and out strides Eddie Vedder, and he says, um, "Hi." He goes, uh, "So I don't know how many of you know this, but uh, Ted Leo and the Pharmacists were supposed to open for us. Uh, the Pharmacists are backstage." Ted Leo did not make it across the board. Oh my God. So if you'll indulge us, we are going to open for ourselves. And Eddie sang two songs and Mike sang a song. 
and Jeff sang a song, which every, everybody was like, Jeff can sing. Right. Um, <laughs> then the pharmacist came out and played a song without any vocals. And then Mike, Jeff, Eddie, and Stone joined the pharmacist to play an Iggy pop cover, to play a Stooges cover. And then they're like, okay, we'll see you in like 15 minutes. So this is, this is, uh, this is on the, um, the backspacer tour. This is around the time that they're playing, that they're playing the SNL. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's in the run up to that to 2010. And it was, it was fantastic. It was just, it, I had waited at that point, you know, almost 20 years to, to finally go and see them. And it, it was everything I had hoped it would be. Yeah. Yeah. I had been a Pearl Jam fan for, 15 16 years before i saw them so mine was in 2008 they headlined the bonnaroo music festival in tennessee and so i uh, I, I went metallica headline my morning jacket had an amazing Oof. late night set yeah uh, chris rock did like stand up at bonnaroo but pearl jam was one of the other headliners that year and it, it had just been so much build up for me i had been such a big fan that was my first time seeing them and I was telling one of my friends on the way, because I, I told you I have a soft spot for WMA, the song. So I was like, maybe they'll play WMA. And, and then we looked it up and it was like, well, they haven't played it in full in like 13 years, 14 years. They just don't play it. Yeah. And so we're sitting on the field. They, 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 about halfway through their set, they're just ripping through. It's awesome. I'm loving it. And then they start, I hear the, dun, 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 and I'm like, that's WMA. Like, are they just going to play the intro to this or something? They played the entire song for the first time in 14 years all the way through. And that's one of my favorites of theirs. And I was there for it. And that's just like Pearl Jam gave me this amazing memory of playing this song, this rare song that I love. And their whole set was awesome. Eddie was drunk. He was drinking tequila and he was getting more drunk and and passionate. He was like almost crying, thanking us. Like he was so overwhelmed looking at the, because Bonnaroo's on a farm. So it's on a big field. So he's looking out in the crowd and like almost crying and thanking everybody. He gets very sentimental, I guess, when he's drinking. So, so that, that was great. And then uh, actually their performance caused a Kanye West hissy fit. Because he was supposed, to, yeah, absolutely. Because he was supposed to play. Well, he played Bonnaroo, mm-hmm. but he said that Pearl Jam went on too long, so so he threw a hissy fit and, and he said it's going to take too long to set up my stage. He was gonna, supposed to go on after them, so Kanye didn't go on until like six a.m. when the sun was coming up, <laughs> and it was the glow in the dark tour right. for Kanye. And his set started when the sun was coming. Sun was up. coming up. That's I amazing. was in. I was at the our campsite. And I was I heard this Kanye song, and I thought, oh, somebody in the campsite's like bus- playing bumping Kanye. Kanye. Right. And then I realized that is Kanye. <laughs> so it was just so bizarre. But Pearl Jam caused a Kanye hissy fit at Bonnaroo in two thousand eight. Yeah, that's. I mean, that is one of the things I do love still to this day that I love about them is there's a lot of bands um, for all kinds of reasons, and I'm like, it's it's there's nothing wrong with it that when they tour. The tour, the the set list is set, and they'll maybe play with like 
two, three, tops, four numbers. They're like, okay, these slots here, we're going to mess around a little bit. Like, you know, we've got a bunch of different lighting cues for whatever. The rest of it is locked and loaded. Pearl Jam, it's like, you know what? From night one to night two, you are going to see a very different show. Yes. Um, and that's been their their MO the whole time. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of not surprised. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Pearl Jam's one of those bands to where, you know, my wife and I, we're getting older. We have more, we have, we have more, you know, financial obligations, more obligations in general. But I told her they're on the short list of bands that we need to travel for mm. to go see if we get the opportunity. I will not talk you out of that. So if you're looking yeah. for uh, the voice of reason, you have come to the no. wrong place. No, <laughs> I, I didn't think so. They're on that short list with like you 2 is somebody we would do that with Pearl nice. Jam. So, so a very short list, but that's how amazing they are live. Uh, so in terms of SNL and in terms of being a musical guest on SNL, Ryan, what do you think Pearl Jam's legacy might be? And where do they fit as far as musical guests on SNL? Well, I'm glad you asked because I wouldn't have thought this before going back through everything this week. But their legacy is Porch because their legacy with that song and that performance is they are almost daring the show not to ask them back. Um that is a really charged statement to make. And I, I I agree with you and see your point that unless you understand the symbolism of a coat hanger, you're not going to get what he's saying. But the second one person does, the rest of the world will figure yeah. it out. And that is a that is a ballsy, ballsy move to go out there and make a statement like we are just one year, two years removed from somebody making a very drastic statement on that show. Um, and to be clear, a correct statement mm-hmm. time would prove, um, but you know, O'Connor's like, been yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's that takes some, that takes some guts. That takes some real guts to be a young band and really risk not ever being invited back. Um, you know, I, I that's the thing is like, I, mentioned before that I don't think that they're comfortable and they don't need or want fame and success. They want a job, you know? So to, to go somewhere and to basically court career suicide, uh, is, is that's ballsy. That's really, really ballsy. And that for me is their legacy. It it may not seem that way in the fact that like they, they played bigger songs and they played more famous songs and they had songs where they may have even sounded better, but that moment where they make a statement on live television and, you know, SNL, they, they ran with it. You know, they, they didn't stop them. They didn't cut away. They didn't like crop a shot or anything like that. They didn't bleep them. Um, props, absolute props for that. That's a Hall of Fame moment. So there's that. Thank you so much, Ryan and Thomas. That was a wonderful conversation. I was riveted by it, and uh, I really think you did a fantastic job. Now, the real work goes to the voters. Will they feel compelled to induct Pearl Jam into the SNL Hall of Fame? That is the question. And my gut says, Pearl Jam 
Well, I guess the tea leaves are Dave Grohl. If Dave Grohl gets in this year, then there's a path for Pearl Jam. If Grohl doesn't get in again, then I don't know that Pearl Jam does either. Right now, the Hall only has one musical guest, and that is Paul Simon, who snuck in with 68.7% of the vote uh, on his first ballot. But other than that, we have Paul McCartney, pardon my pun, waiting in the wings, and that's it. So I don't know. It uh, Ryan had mentioned that he hasn't nominated or stumped for anyone yet who has made it into the Hall of Fame. And Ryan, my friend, I'm afraid that this may be your legacy. This may be your porch. So there's that. Let's go to a live performance now from the band. This comes from a Sharon Stone hosted episode. You'll hear her call the band in and uh, maybe this will convince you. Ladies and gentlemen, Pearl Jam. She said, do I deserve 
Wow. What an incredible performance. I think that I was, what, 17 or 18 when this came on, and it blew my mind. I thought it was just fantastic. And I still think it's fantastic to this day. So, Ryan, thank you a lot. If you're a fan of his, you can check out more of his work on thematinee.ca and listen to his uh, takes on popular culture and film. That's what I've got for you here this week. Next week, we'll be joined by SNN superfan Bill Kenny to discuss the career of Martin Short as a host. So please rate, review, subscribe, and share the program, and we'll see you next week. But in the meantime, as you're walking down the hall and you pass the Weekend Update exhibit, do me a favor and turn out the light switch, because the SNL Hall of Fame is now closed. Thanks for listening to the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. Make sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media at SNLHOF. This is Doug Denant saying, this is Doug Denant saying, see you next week. Next week.